Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, as Ben said, my name is Brian Paget, and I am one of the pastors at Redeemer Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And um, so uh, I always love getting to come here. And one time, there was only one time I was, I didn't really like coming here. And it was when y'all were going through Judges and Ben made me stick with it. <laughs> and that's not easy to preach through. So when he says like, hey, whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, I'm like, I love coming to Crosstown. When it's Judges, it's like hard pass. So, <clears throat> but I think we got through it and a lot of y'all's lives were changed and you're still here. So, no, but um, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. And um, I want to, so here's the thing. It, I, I just want to be kind of just straight uh, honest with you. This is um, going to be a little awkward. Uh, and a little uncomfortable, uh, because if you listen to what he just read, we're going to actually look at all of Matthew 10, but this is going to be kind of the focus area. Uh, but Matthew 10 is an extremely uncomfortable uh, passage. And so uh, what I want to do before we jump in, though, uh, is I, I just want to take a moment to pray. And I want to pray over Crosstown in particular, because I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I don't think I, have to, I don't think I'm really going out on a limb here. It's probably a secure stump that I'm standing on. Um, but my guess is the last 18 months have been really hard here. My, my guess is there's some people that aren't worshiping with you anymore today for various reasons that you can't understand. Things that they've said about you or about your church, about what you believe or what your pastors teach or whatever else, that you are just shaking your head going, I don't understand. People that thought the pandemic was a hoax, people that thought you wearing masks was stupid, you're just a bunch of sheeple as if that's a problem because Jesus literally just said, I'm sending you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves. But somehow, right, you've endured. <laughs> you're still here. Uh, and maybe some of you are hanging on. Maybe you're not. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to be here for various reasons. But I just want to pray over your church. I want to pray over you guys because that's a lot. Some of you know people who've lost lives. Some of you have lost family members this last year through the pandemic. Some of you have lost close friendships. You felt betrayed. You felt stabbed in the back. You've had false things leveled at you that you just are like, what's going on? So can we just take a moment? Can I just pray over you guys real quick? Um, and you say, well, how does he know all this about us? Because it's the same in Stillwater. <laughs> it's everywhere right now. So let me just pray for you real quick before we do this. Lord. Thank you for Crosstown. Father, we're part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And for some in this room, maybe they don't know fully what that means, but this is the first Acts 29 church plant in all of Oklahoma. So I'm here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, planting up there because of people like Ben and his family and others who joined in to help plant this church. And the goal wasn't to just have another church to do church. The goal wasn't to say, hey, how can we steal from all the other churches in town and make ours a big, happy thing? The goal was to plant the gospel seed in the soil of lives here in Oklahoma City to see it produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times greater than itself. And in sowing broadly, we know, Jesus, that you said sometimes it falls on the sidewalk and it just dies immediately. Sometimes it, it springs up and is crushed by the sun. Sometimes it grows up and then the thorns and thistles choke it out. But Lord, sometimes it lands on good soil and produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times greater than itself. And to know this many years later, they are still faithfully preaching that gospel message. They have not wavered from it. 
And for any in this room who've been accused of things, who have been betrayed by friends, things leveled at them that they just are confused by, that, that people in an opportunity to reflect Christ in our city over this last year, who chose their own freedoms and rights over what we're supposed to do in Christ is to lay down our freedoms and rights for the sake of others, to love our neighbor as ourself, as they've had to watch people and had to take criticism from people, questioning whether or not they actually believe the gospel message at all. I pray they would know today, Lord, would you comfort the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this room that this church has remained faithful to the gospel message. They are not wavering. And for any who have left and taken people with them, for any who have left and said false and hurtful things, I pray you would bring them to a place of repentance. Have mercy on their souls, O God. And I pray this morning's message, as awkward and as uncomfortable as it is, would actually be really encouraging and strengthening. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew 16, or 10, 16 through 25 is where we're going to focus. And I, I want to read verse 16 again. It says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now that... That verse is really going to be the, the linchpin for us. Okay, that's where we're going to kind of keep rallying around is that verse. But I, I want to catch us up to what is going on in verse 16. So Jesus, now Matthew, you've got to understand about how Matthew writes, okay? I think sometimes when we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we hear the gospel account, we, we, we can sometimes get confused. Like, okay, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of have some crossover. They share some similar stories, but then they don't sound the same. So case in point, go read about Jesus sending out the 12 in Luke. You go read about it in Luke, and he doesn't say any of this stuff, really. He just kind of says, hey, go, and you know, don't take anything with you, and they're going to hate you, and then he moves on. But if you go read what he says about sending out the 70 or 72, this is where Luke unpacks all this stuff. Well, they're going to Gentile towns. Well, here in Matthew 10, he's not sending them to the Gentiles or Samaria. He says, just go to the lost sheep of Israel. So when Matthew is writing his gospel account, what you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit of God is inspiring Matthew to write. But Matthew is Matthew. He's a human being, and he is writing as he understands. Now, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. Here's what's crazy about that. If you go read the first few chapters of Matthew, right, Christmas time, if you want to wait till then, because uh, that's your normal thing, then wait till Christmas, and just remember what I'm telling you. But it is July 25th, it is Christmas in July, so there. Go back and read it today. But here's the thing. In Matthew 1 and 2, when Matthew's writing to this Jewish audience, he is primarily focused on the Gentiles. That's why we learn about the Magi. You don't read about them anywhere else. Only in Matthew. Why is he doing this? Because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he's showing the inclusion of Gentiles now into God's kingdom. That it is not just a Jewish thing, that God has always been the God of every nation, tribe, people, and language. The God of the universe. He's the Savior of the world. And when Matthew is introducing Jesus to this primarily Jewish audience that he's writing to, he's emphasizing the, the movement of the Gentiles and what Christ is doing among them. When you get to Matthew 10, right before Matthew 10, we have the famous, he looks on them as sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them. And he says, pray then to the Lord of the harvest. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
that he would send out laborers into his harvest field. And everyone loves this passage, and they say, and look what he does next in chapter 10. He says, he calls the 12 to him and says, I'm sending you. So just know that when you pray that prayer, that you're going to be sent, dear brother. I don't know why I turned into that, that version of whatever that was, but that's what you get, okay? So here's the thing, like, we, we love that, and it's not false, it's not wrong, okay? But here's the problem, is that we all focus on the sending, and we get excited about the sending, and we want to be a sending church, we want to be all this other stuff, but here's what happens in Matthew 10 that's going to be extremely uncomfortable and awkward for us. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. This is verse, verse 5. He says, but six, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, to you, you might hear that and go, well, yeah, okay, that's what we're going to do. Let me try to bring it home for us real quick. These 12 apostles, now, this is what he's doing. So this is where they become apostles in a sense. Apostle means one sent with authority. So when he sends them out with his authority, he's sending them out on an apostolic mission. But look who the crowd is, okay? We got Simon, who's Peter. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Now listen, Matthew, and he identifies himself, just in case you're confused, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, there are three people in this list that get identifying marks next to them, okay? The rest of them are like son of, son of, brother of, brother, son of, son of, whatever. But Matthew, the tax collector... Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. These identifying markers tell us something. Now, Judas hasn't betrayed him here. So when this happens in real time, Matthew is not going, oh, Judas is coming, the betrayer? That's not what's going on. So he's riding after the fact. That's why he can say he was the one who would betray him. We know Judas betrays Jesus. But Judas gets sent. Just remember that. That's going to come back up here later. Simon the Zealot, okay? Let me tell you about the Zealots, okay? So in Israel, you had the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. Those are the ones we hear the most uh, commonly about. Pharisees were kind of the bigger group. Then the Sadducees, then the Essenes would be a kind of a smaller group. Uh, but they kind of made up the ruling lead of the established religion of, of Israel. But there was this other group called the Zealots, okay? And the Zealots were like the people like, no, there is only God. We will report and surrender to and submit to and do nothing with any other leaders. They wanted a full-on Jewish theocracy. And they were willing to fight with real weapons to make it happen. So the zealots would absolutely abhor the tax collectors. Because Matthew collecting taxes for Rome, was collecting taxes from his people to send it off to Rome. He would take a little bit off the top for himself, send it to Rome. Rome would then send in their troops to steal, kill, and destroy, rape, and pillage in their villages and their towns. So imagine Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector gathered around a table eating a meal with Jesus. Now you think Thanksgiving's bad. They couldn't be on more opposite ends. But there's something powerful about what Jesus does to the hearts of men and women that can bring them around a table with him. And they can look at those differences and they can begin to lay down those idols because that's really what it is and find common ground in Christ. 
Now, the disciples had their issues. We see that all throughout, right? We, you get that. I mean, they're literally fighting at one point of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So maybe give yourselves a little bit of grace if you haven't quite figured it out. Your missional family isn't just rolling perfect right now. Like some of you are probably in there fighting who's the greatest in our missional family. Okay, none of you. But Jesus is going to be like, you, do you have what it takes to be on my right and my left? Well, yeah, we do. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what he's going to tell you every single time. Just stop. But here's what he tells them to do. Here's their mission. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he tells them. Go say this. Go to all the lost sheep of Israel. Say this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, go without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey. Two tunics or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you and listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, I want you to understand something. All 12 of these men that Jesus sends out are Jewish. Okay? And when he tells them, only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles and don't enter a town of the Samaritans. He is telling them, I want you to go to the people who worship in your synagogues. They believe and claim to believe the same God you believe in. They sing the same psalms that you sing. They give. They do all. They follow the dietary law. They follow the laws of the Old, of the Old Testament. They are just like you. And I want you to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is here. And I want you to show them with healing. I wish Jesus would have just put faith over fear there because that would have made a lot more sense. <laughs> well, why do we need to heal the sick? Raise the dead. Why do we need to do that? Cleanse the left. You realize all these people are dead today. Can we all be honest? Like, that's what I always like. People are like, well, the spirit was here. Everybody be healed. It's like, uh-huh. And they're still going to die. Like, you know that. We all know they die. Why is Jesus doing this? Because he's displaying what the kingdom of heaven is. One day the healing will be full and final. One day the resurrection will be full and final. One day, right, the lepers will be fully and finally healed and cleansed forever and ever. This is what he does. This is his saving power. It's not just saving your soul. It's saving your whole person. And this truncated reductionist gospel that we think we're going to get away with in this country that doesn't care about all that stuff, we just want to save your soul, is not what the kingdom of heaven is all about. So when he says, go into the lost sheep of Israel, go into your synagogues where people are singing the same psalms as you, worshiping the same God you worship, praying to the same God you claim to worship and pray to, they're doing all the same things as you, they look like you, eat like you, vote like you, do everything else. I want you to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is here and then I want you to display it with healings and raising from the dead and everything. Don't take anything with you. Say, peace be to this house. And if they return it, you stay there. But if they do not, and this is the part that's really uncomfortable and awkward. If they do not, dust your feet off and move. 
Can I just say something that's not going to be wildly popular here? I think sometimes we've said too long at the houses that don't want us. Dust your feet off and move on. You're not, you think you're better than Jesus? <laughs> this is what He's commanding them to do. Dust your feet off and move on. But if they return peace to you, stay there. Stay there. Now He gets to the statement. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Imagine being one of these disciples. And Jesus tells you to go out, proclaim the kingdom of God, go into all these places, only, only to the lost sheep of Israel. Do not go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Just your people. Just your people. Your religious block. And then he says to you, here's what I'm really doing. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Who are the wolves? They're people. Do you see? Okay, this is, I'm telling you, it's going to be completely uncomfortable and awkward. Do you see and understand and realize that the Christianity of this land, to steal from Frederick Douglass, is comparative to the Jewish nationalist of Jesus' day. Do you understand that? Like, there are people in this room right now worshiping alongside us, singing to the same God, praying to the same God, claiming belief in the same God, and may be exactly like one of these wolves in our midst. Now, all of you are really uncomfortable and self-conscious, and, oh my gosh, are you talking about me? They didn't come this Sunday. They had a heads up. But, but they're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. They're part of your evangelical Christian voting block. They're us. See, if you just leave it in terms of Israel, you're like, okay, yeah. They're not all Christian today. We understand. That's what's going on. It's harder when we have to look at our own nation and go, wait, there is this thing called Christian nationalism that's on par with Jewish nationalism. And they claim the same gods. And they worship the same. But there are wolves among them and among us. And what we usually think of wolves, this is probably what's happened to you, Ben. You've probably been called a wolf more times than you can, can count. Because, you know, apparently... One Sunday, you said justice the wrong way and became a critical race theorist. Ultra-woke social justice warrior. So he's now a wolf. You know what the wolves are? Wolves are predatory. You know that, right? Like, wolves aren't subtle. <laughs> Just so you know. Like, they don't sneak up on you and bite you really hard in the rear. They are out there and you know they're coming. They are predatory and you can't do anything about it. And the sheep... Sheep are even worse. As a human, you've got a fighting chance. Sheep don't. So for him to say, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves are not subtle about their wolvery. Now, you might say, well, doesn't he talk about sheep, uh, wolves in sheep clothing? Yes. So there are pretending people and everything. 
They, they have this clothes on. And, and listen, I would argue for this. Like A lot of our popular worship music today is sheep's clothing. When you start looking behind the curtain at the people and the churches that they come from producing these things, like Bethel out of California, it is a mess of heresy and false teaching. But the music's great. It's that sheep's clothing, right? Because it cloaks it. And you get interested. And you want to go out and learn from these things. And it's garbage. Probably I said too much just there. Maybe not. But here's the deal. Here's what's happening right now in our midst. Across this land, there are men and women that are trying to convince, and with wild success, that every pastor, every Christian ministry, every leader, every Christian that says anything about racial reconciliation or justice or any of those things is critical race theorists, woke, social justice warriors, liberals, communists, cultural Marxists. No evidence is being produced. They are creating whole straw men, making them official people, blasting that. And here's what they are doing with full intent, seeking to divide the church. Tell me who the wolf is. Why would you need to divide the church? Because you need to pull away the vulnerable so that you can attack them. But here's the danger. These guys going into the city, we know when Jesus says, say, peace be upon this house. And when they return, you stay there with them. Not So here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go out and be like, oh my gosh, every Christian's a wolf. Every person that claims to be a Christian's a wolf until they show me otherwise. That's not what I want you to do. Like, I, I don't know if y'all do ministry safe here. We do ministry safe up in Stillwater. And so you have to watch these like sexual abuse training videos. The first time I watched it, I went through all nine of them. I did like one sit down thing. I think it's like an hour total to go through the whole thing. I am not joking. For the next month, I, every man and woman that wanted to hang out with my kids was assumed to be that. Prove it otherwise. I mean, I'm like that guy. You tell me something, and I'm going, nope, everybody is this. I can't trust a soul. I'm like questioning my wife. Why are you doing that? <laughs> right? So this is what happens. This is what fear does. This is why fear is probably the most powerful thing that we have in American politics and everything else in this country. If I can scare you enough, you will start to question everyone around you and everything around you. So I don't want to do that. Because here's the thing. Whether, like, it's not going to change. If I sat down in your city and said, okay, you want to, okay, let's walk through who all the wolves are in your life. You want to know why you want to know who they are? So you can avoid them. But that's not what Jesus just said. He said, I'm sending you into the midst of the wolves. Why? Because in the midst of wolves, there are lost sheep. So, be wise as serpents, be innocent as doves. Now, he goes on, and I'm going to come back to this, okay? But I want you to see what's going to happen here. He says, beware of men. They'll deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Sounds fun. I actually learned about a church in Stillwater that apparently still does public floggings. True story. Never going to do anything with that church. Ever, 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 ever. I don't want to be flogged. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated. Listen to this. It's a promise. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But to the one who endures to the end will be saved. Listen to this. When they persecute you in one town, stay there and take it. Nope. Flee to the next. Run to the next town. For truly, I say to you, you'll not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let me stop there for just a second. This is what it's going to be like to be amongst the wolves. This doesn't happen to every single person. We know that from reading the New Testament. Not every single Christian was beaten in a synagogue, flogged in a synagogue, brought before the kid. No, that's not what's going on. But that risk is real. And what Jesus is trying to do, so my friend Tyler, he's one of our elders up at Redeemer, spent years in China with his wife. They got kicked out of China a few years ago as spies. Um, they, they were considered spies. And so they got kicked out of China, couldn't go back for five years. So they got like two more years left where they could even go back at all. And when we have all these college students that, you know, they take perspectives and they get excited about mission stuff. Or they don't take perspective. They just get excited about mission because they went on a trip in their high school to Mexico or something. Whatever it is that gets them pumped up and excited. They contact us. Like a lot of people even not from our church. Like we've become known as the church that does mission stuff because I speak in perspectives, I guess. But they don't want to come to our church. I'm like, that's weird. But we just, we, hey, you're a brother or sister in Christ. We'll meet with you. So we do. Now I just send them to Tyler, okay? Because you can tell right now from listening to me, I'm, you're like, that guy is not nice. That's not true. But I can come across, I know I'm an intimidating personality, I'm intense and everything else, and I get it. It's, it's, so Tyler's a little bit different. He's a little bit nicer, he's more laid back, and then he can just flat out speak Chinese to them better than the Chinese people. Like, he's been told this, and I'm like, this is awesome. So then I'm like, see, he's a real missionary. Me, I'm just still speaking, I can't do anything else. So, so here Tyler comes in. You know what he does? Every, without fail, every single time he meets with someone who wants to go overseas, you know what he tries to do? Convince them not to go. Probably why we haven't sent anybody. It's powerful and effective. <laughs> you know, Man, I really don't want to go. Go see Tyler. He'll make sure you don't want to go after that. No, you know what he's trying to do? He wants them to know how hard and difficult and unromantic it really is. Are you really ready for this? You need to ask yourself, is Jesus worth it? You need to ask yourself, is this gospel of the kingdom worth it? Do I really buy into this? Do I believe this? That's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to talk them out of it, although it does kind of feel that way. I mean, how many of you would be sitting there in this crowd going, oh, he's sending us out. Yeah, all right. We're ready to go. Jesus, yeah, let's do this. This camp is awesome. This experience is great. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And he says, oh, behold, I'm sending you a sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, we took a little turn there. They're going to flog you in the synagogues. They're going to bring you before the governors. They're going to kill you. Your son's going to try to rise up and kill you. Your father might try to kill you. Your mom might even step in on this one. And you will be hated because of me. And when they persecute you in one town, and they will, you flee to the next one. I mean, how many of them are sitting there going, yes, keep it coming? And then, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of the, house of, of the household of God? And what he's doing right now is he is letting them know, please, please, please hear this. This is what the mission is going, this is the context by which you will proclaim this kingdom of heaven. 
that King Jesus has arrived and your own people who read the same Bible as you, who worship, claim to worship the same God as you, who claim the same Psalms as you, who claim the same festivals as you, the same heritage as you. They claim to be God's people just like you are going to destroy you. And to think, it's hard for us to think that people in this country who claim to be Christian could be like that. Except for maybe this last year and a half where you're going, oh, they can. And they are. I would rather go to Nepal right now. Not because it's going to be easier. Don't hear that. Like if he's like, oh, good, we're going to the right place. It, good luck. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But it's going to be a little more clear that you're not going to a place that's expected to be friendly toward Christianity. And yet we live in a place called the Bible Belt. Like how many times have y'all heard, Oklahoma City's the buckle of the Bible Belt? Everyone's the buckle of the Bible belt. I heard that in Waco, Texas. It's a huge buckle. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's a belt anymore. I think it's just a buckle. But everybody's the buckle of the Bible belt. You know what the Bible belt is synonymous with, too? It's the same states that used to make up the Jim Crow South. What was Bible about that? How did we do that? Is it possible? That even for us in this room, that the stain of Christian nationalism is still with us. And it's something that we have to regularly repent of and purge from our midst. I'm not talking about loving your country. Listen, do you love your children and just let them get away with whatever? That's not love. Like, I love when people are like, why do you hate the police so much? Why do I hate the police so much? What, do I? I don't. Why? I love the police. I'm thankful for the police. I know some great police officers, really grateful for them. I love the church. I love pastors. I love Ben. I love all kinds of Christian leaders. That doesn't mean we can't hold people accountable. That doesn't mean we can't have honest conversations about things that are bad. We can't assume that everything is now perfect because we slap Christian on it. That's why you need to quit buying books for some Christian bookstores. Not all of them, but some of them. My rule of thumb is if the author's face is on the front, hard pass. And I'm probably missing some good ones. <laughs> but if your face is on the front, I don't want to read it. So, so here's the thing. like, We need to understand the context by which we're going out. We don't need to be thrown off. We don't need to become bitter and cynical and angry. He's told us this is what's going to happen. Now in Luke 10, he sends out the 72 and he says, go to the Gentile nations. Go to these other towns. He says, go everywhere. And that representation of the 72 is going to all the earth. That's what's going on there. He says the same thing. So I don't want you to hear this is just about going to our own people. He is going to say this also is true when you go out. It's absolutely true. But the hard one for us is to, to go out amongst our own people because our assumption is that when they claim to be Christian, they worship the same God we do, they read the same Bible we do, they even go to the same church we go to or are part of the same denomination or part of the same whatever. Our assumption then is that they are like us. What do you mean go to the lost sheep? They're Israel. They're the Christians. They, aren't they the church? 
What do you mean go out to the lost sheep? What do you mean you're sending these sheep in the midst of wolves? Are you saying that the people of God are now wolves? Not all of them, but yes, some of them are wolves. But in the midst of that are lost sheep. And sometimes they're the wolf that kills you. And Jesus steps in and saves them, i.e. the Apostle Paul, among others. And sometimes it's the one going out with you that also proves to not belong, like Judas Iscariot. How in the world are we to know? Right? Everyone's like, probably sitting like, oh my gosh. I'm either sitting next to Judas or a wolf. Probably. (laughs) But probably not. How do we know? He tells us. This is where I want to end here. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. When you go to Nepal, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Right? When you all wake up tomorrow morning and you go to work, whatever work looks like for you, Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. What does that mean? A serpent, right? We think about G- or, uh, Satan in the garden, right? The serpent. Uh, that's not something we normally want to like, oh, why do I want to be like that? Don't be like that. He, Jesus, this is a simile. Jesus is not saying be exactly like a serpent. Be sneaky and suspicious and everything else. That's not what he's saying. But the other word that's often used is be shrewd as a serpent. And it's this idea that wisdom demands certain things. It's like when he tells them later, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. That has to do with wisdom. Watch for the snares. Right? If the report comes, hey, Ben, we just want you to know next Sunday there is a plot to take you out. Like a a legitimate plot. And we don't know who it is, but they're going to be there. We don't know which one of your people, but we've heard something. And Ben gets news of this. It would be unwise of Ben to show up and be like, well, let's draw him out. Come and get me. I'm going down for Jesus. That's not wisdom, okay? That means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sift the crowd. We're going to find out what's going on here. That was a really loaded scenario. So <laughs> there's a whole lot more that needs to go on before Ben makes that call. But anyway, you get the point, right? So here's the thing. Wisdom, right, is what is going for this wisdom of the serpent. The wisdom is, is to know. Here's the thing about wisdom is that you're aware that you're in the midst of wolves. You're not going to be wise if you continue to assume that everybody around you and everyone out there all has good intentions and everything else. That just because you read it on YouTube or on Facebook or saw it in a YouTube video, that somehow that must be facts because that guy's got a big following. Just because celebrity preachers have big followings, that doesn't mean they're not wolves. I would argue that many of them are showing their teeth right now. They have been for the last year and a half, and you'd be wise not to follow them. When they're adding on to the gospel saying, any true Christian would vote for fill in the blank, farewell. (laughs) That's another gospel altogether. And you either repent and turn back to Jesus, or we have to call you what you are. And if you think it's all on the right, you're sadly mistaken. There is as much Christian nationalism on the left as there is on the right. And it was true in Jesus' day with Jewish nationalism. But Jesus is a different king, and his kingdom is a different kingdom. And he doesn't play by the rules of this world. He has his own set of rules that we're to submit to and follow. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so huge. And listen, if you want to be on, like, we whiffed big time this last year as the church. Whiffed 
big time. Like that whole love your enemies thing, whiff, <laughs> strike one. Love your neighbor, strike two. Go the extra mile, strike three. We can keep going, but you struck out. Why? Now, that's not true of every one of us. I know that. But on the large scale, that is true. And so it's extremely complicated. It's really difficult to know. But if we're going to be wise as serpents, we have to be aware that Jesus sent us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't be shocked when these things he says happen, start happening to you or to members of your church. So to be wise as serpents means we're aware of our surroundings. We understand. You don't just kind of sneak in, take a sheep and sneak back out like, I can't believe they didn't see me. They are looking for you. They're predators. And they're not just theological wolves. We've got to stop thinking about that. That's why abuse keeps happening in the church in the form of emotional, physical, spiritual, and sexual abuse. Because we're looking for theological wolves while people are actually predatory and hurting our people. You've got to snuff them all out. And the church is some of the most vulnerable people. Why? Because we are innocent as doves. But innocent as dove doesn't mean you're a pushover. It doesn't mean you're naive. The innocence of the dove means this. That we live above reproach. So when all the false accusations come, it just falls right down to the dirt. It has nothing to stick to because we are living above reproach. And it's really complicated to do that today because of social media. I mean, just ask your pastors. Everyone tells you, just focus on your local church. Just focus on your city. And then everybody comes in going, you read Bodie Bauckham's fault lines? Heretic. Who's voting? Does he go here? Does he live here? Does he know me? No. Well, social media told me that this ministry, they have a documentary that says you, uh (laughs) uh-huh, says I what? They don't know me. They never sat down with me. You haven't sat down with me. Where's the grace? Where's the innocence as doves? This is what we go out with. Wise as serpents, but we're innocent as doves. And if we're too innocent... We compromise. We don't want to confront. We just kind of lay low and say, okay, okay, yeah, hey, we'll, we'll change everything to try to appease the masses. We'll, we'll do all this stuff to make everyone happy. That's too, too far that direction. And then the wise one, listen, they go too far the other direction. They create a whole subculture and they isolate and they put fences and walls up around everything. And it's always us versus them. Because they're so wise that they think everyone out there is out to get them. And so therefore, they're going to huddle in these little circles where they can trust everybody. And if you cross me, so dare cross me, we will throw you out of the camp. And it's always a moving target. (laughs) Like it changed from five years ago to what it is today. And you see how the extremes play out? Jesus is saying, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, to hold that tension. Because there are going to be moments where it's wise for Ben to not show up, right? But then there's going to be the innocence that says, no, in this moment I stand up. Like Paul. Paul Paul was getting beat up like crazy in places. Why all of a sudden at the end of Acts does he appeal to Caesar? He's being wise as a serpent. He knows the ploy. He knew what the Jews were trying to do to him, so he appeals. He knew when to use his rights as a Roman citizen and when to lay them down. Do we? Do we know when to flex on everybody with our rights or do we know when to lay them down? Are we innocent as doves? Are we above reproach? 
Are we kind to those who slander us? Are we merciful? Are we gracious? Do we not immediately jump to the conclusion that they're a wolf and throw them out? But we call them to repentance, and if they don't, then there is a process by which someone is removed. Do you know this is the world in which Christ has sent you to? And here's the thing about being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Is you always remember the mission. You remember why you're there. Why you're here. Why you live in the neighborhood you live in. Why you work at the place you work. If you think we're going to reach Oklahoma City or Stillwater or anything else because you got Ben here and some few other people on staff, you are sadly mistaken. That's not how you reach your city. You are how you reach your city. This right here is a gathering to celebrate what God's done, to proclaim his word so that we go out as sheep in the midst of wolves, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Knowing that Jesus says later on, don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. Like, that's everyone's favorite verse, right? Everyone's got that memorized next to John 3.16. I knew the insurrection was right. Bring the sword. No. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He didn't say, everyone draw your blades and go. Because we know with Peter, he does that. He says, put it away. I'm not doing that. What's he talking about? The gospel's confrontation. Can you imagine these guys going home and their mom and dad saying, I don't even know who you are anymore. Get out of here. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you, that's your story. They disowned you. They don't want anything to do with your religion or your Christianity or whatever. But he says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The mission of God isn't easy. It's not safe. It's not comfortable. But it is secure. It is rewarding. It is life-giving. And it is honoring, both for the person engaged in it and the Lord. I want to close reading what Jesus says, starting in verse 26. Let me start in verse 25. He says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant to be like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan, just think about that for a second. They called Jesus Satan. How much more will they malign those of his household? So here's where I want to leave you. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Do you know what that says? You don't have to go create a, a new, like, you know, the spiritual gifts test. Like Ben doesn't need to create a wolf test. Find out if your neighbor's a wolf. See how they answer these questions. That, that, we don't need that. Here's what you need to do. You need to endure to the end. In a sense, he's basically like, you just need to wait them out. Because everything done in darkness will be disclosed in the light. Soon they will be revealed for who they really are. 
But if they claim to be a Christian, you treat them as a Christian. You challenge them as a Christian. You confront them with the word of God. And if they're not bearing fruit and keeping with repentance and everything else, then it may just be that the light's exposing what's really true about who they are. But he says, have no fear of them. What's covered will be revealed. What's hidden will be known. What I tell you in the dark, he says, say in the light. Isn't that interesting? Most people, what they tell you in the dark, they don't want you to tell anybody. Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, tell everybody. I'm not ashamed. What they tell you in the dark, I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim it from the rooftops. And to not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than the sparrows. So everyone, listen to this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray.